My name is Christopher Thomas Plant. My name is Ross Farshtick. Welcome to the Resties, where the rest of the best discuss the best of the rest. This week we're talking about a whole lot, honestly. A bundle of smaller, awesome releases. Those include Hitman's Freelancer DLC, a Season, A Letter to the Future, and Nuclear Blaze, along with a few other little little ditties that we're excited to talk about. But before we get into that, I have some news for you. Oh, boy. I got rid of my anime statue. Your giant 13 Sentinels anime statue that I helped fund. You've, you've rid yourself of it. I, so I showed it to Steffi. It was 15 inches just for, for people to Which remember. is a lot more inches than you think. Is, yeah. Let me just tell you. I showed it to Steffi and her her reaction was so um, unfazed that it made me question a lot about myself. Sure. So I decided, okay, I need to take this uh, back. <laughs> I need to send it back to, to Amazon. Yeah. And I need to get something like that's not just like uh, I I don't want to say Thirteen Sentinels was ironic, but like I need to get something that I'm gonna be really proud to have on my shelf. It, that every it, time I see it, I'll think I I won. The resties that year. I am. I'm happy. I'm proud. Sure. And to be clear, Thirteen Sentinels was not ironic because you adore Thirteen Sentinels. No, I do. I do. But when I see it, it's very hard. It was very hard for me to look at um, <laughs> a, a high school woman in like gym clothes and be like, "This is not embarrassing." <laughs> you know, like I like to think that I'm okay. And, and we're not judging. We, uh, and, uh, no, not at all. I if am. You not have comfortable. a statue in your house. That's fine. Totally fine. I am not comfortable in my own skin that's sure. that is the issue. and and to be fair i would also not be comfortable with that having that in my house so no so i needed something that i really spoke to me so yes you have not seen it yet correct i have shared a link with you i would like you to open it and describe to the listener what you see okay so i am opening this link that chris plant has sent it is gallerynucleus.com which i'm not familiar with wow look at this yeah I don't know what this is, but it looks incredible. Isn't it, it cool? It is a miniature arcade cabinet of Spelunky. It says Spelunky 3-in-1. And I guess I don't know what it is. It's, it's art. It's just a little, it's a little fake arcade cabinet designed oh. by Derek Yu. Wow, that's so cool. Isn't that neat? Yeah. So yeah. It, Gallery it have, is it electronic or is it just like no it's it's just it's just like a little i assume wooden it's mixed medium um and you can connect a bluetooth speaker to it to play like some spelunky music oh. but really it's just a, a little it's a fictional version of a spelunky arcade cabinet gallery nucleus is a gallery in los angeles that i think people should check out and right now I think it will actually have already ended by the time this episode airs. Oh. They were running a thing called Fantasy Arcade 3, which is where they get a whole bunch of designers to create fake arcade cabinets. That's so, so cool. they have some for, like, games that are real, like this and Abzu. Um, but then they have some that are, like, for fake games. Like, I think there's, like, a, a Frasier video game one sure. that they have. Of course. Um, yeah, and they're awesome. People are probably going to miss this go-around, but... Gallery Nucleus does lots of things, including uh, 13 Sentinels <laughs> sessions, of course. which is why I was aware of them to begin with. So it felt like, you know, spiritually correct. So I, and this, I, I feel like this was a good choice. I think it took us a while to get here. 
Yeah. But I think I think for next year, whoever wins, like I kind of want you to win because I would like to get you like a really cool piece of art that like that you're proud to have in your sure. house. And and to be clear, I wanted to get you something that you actually wanted. And it, it it seems like I missed Mark on the first time. <laughs> you well, you did, and I think I think I steered you wrong because I thought I thought I knew myself, and yes. let me tell you, you knew me better than I know myself. It seems that seems to be the case in this situation. This is great, though. Well, well found, uh, and very very cool. Thank you. Uh, let's take a break, and then we can come back and talk about some video games. Okay. Okay, so we're back, and. You're going to tell me about Hitman Freelancer Mode. In some context from the top, we have played Hitman games on this podcast. Yes. like Quite a few, I think. Uh, I, I don't know. I think it's just the third one. Really? I think so. No. Yeah, because Hitman think... 2 came out, I don't know, ages. And eight, well, it's, the show's no, been on for 10 years, so maybe. <laughs> 10 years. I think we played the ones that came up before all of that. Yeah, I don't remember playing the other Hitman I games. Know. Hitman 3 was the first one that really like clicked for me. Anyway, we've played a lot of these. I I keep feeling like I'm, you know, one great session away from falling in love with this series. Mm. And I'm curious about freelancer mode, and I want you to tell me all about it, because it sounds like maybe the thing that can get me there. It's probably not. Okay. <laughs> but it is incredibly cool and incredibly, like, interesting from a design standpoint. So it's going to require some setup, so be patient. Okay. Um. So just recently, Hitman 3 was the name was changed to Hitman World of Assassination. And all that really means is the developers behind Hitman uh, basically baked in all of the levels from Hitman 1 and 2 into 3. So if you buy Hitman World of Assassination, you basically get everything all in one bundle. Fine. So that just happened recently. And as part of that, They've been working on this mode called Freelancer Mode. And in the core Hitman game, which again, we've talked about, the whole idea is that each mission, which takes place in these like enormous world, enormous levels with, you know, hundreds of people, like crowd members, stuff like that. And you have a target and killing that target's like a very complicated, like, you know, you're setting up like a variety of traps for that target to fall into, but it's very kind of prescribed in terms of how you complete that assassination. In freelancer mode, it basically totally randomizes all of this stuff. So you'll start a campaign in freelancer mode, and basically it'll spit you levels that have a randomized target. It'll give you uh, sub-objectives like, hey, kill this target with an explosive or use um, poison. And um, it'll allow you to basically build up an arsenal using the gear that you find on these missions. But if you die, any gear that you are carrying on that mission is lost forever. So it is very much inspired by roguelikes because you are in this campaign where you are trying to basically move your way through these randomized uh, missions. And if you die you'll essentially go back to the beginning. There, There's a little bit of a, you know, it's a little more tame than that, but not by much. There's like very little room for error. Um, and 
So the idea is instead of playing Hitman, the way I always played Hitman was very carefully and with a lot of saving and you kind of just like do it perfectly. And if you get spotted, you reload your save. And again, this is how I play it. Um, You can't do that here. They don't let you save in the middle of a mission. You are really at the whims of your skill level. So if shit goes bad, you're going to have to either like maneuver your way out of it or you're going to got die and basically lose a bunch of stuff and have to deal with that. Um it's wild. Uh yeah, I don't know if that kind of answers your how it works, but I mean, it sounds hmm, it sounds like both more welcoming and more intimidating somehow at the exact same time. Yeah, so I'm going to I'm going to tell you why I think it's not necessarily great for you, Chris Plant, who hasn't necessarily played a ton of Hitman games. Yes. Um I'm I'm coming in an interesting way because I didn't really play the first and second games. And these levels that they're pulling into the freelancer mode are pulled from all three games. So you're going to see levels from Hitman 3, 2, and 1. The Hitman 3 levels, I know like the back of my hand. And when they lo- when they load up, I know, oh, if I go to this specific bathroom at this specific time, there's going to be a guard in there who's washing his face and I can lure him into the bathroom with the flooded sink and take his outfit. And then I have a v- very good disguise that'll get me around most of the map. For the maps that I haven't played, uh, I don't have that real like that background. And eventually, I could probably gather it just by like yeah. playing the missions. But the normal campaign of Hitman is kind of designed to teach you a lot of that stuff mm. and like tell you like, oh, here's where like a secret doorway is or stuff like that. So I feel like the majority of the people that are playing this mode probably played a lot of. Uh, those first two, uh, all all three of the Hitman games, such that like this is like a new challenge for them where everything's randomized, but there are some uh, carryovers from what they saw previously. See, this is interesting because the person who, the other person who's been championing this, I think probably to both of us, is Mike Mahardy, who works at Polygon and also is on the Fire Escape podcast. Yes. And... The two games that I feel like I hear from him constantly about uh, are Hitman and and especially this DLC as it was coming out now that it's out in Total Warhammer 3 in its like mega expansion, which blends all of its like worlds and like characters and types together. Right. Yeah. And it's very funny talking to him about these things because they they sound absolutely amazing. They sound cooler than 99% of what is like out there. They also sound like something that's only possible if I had already dedicated years of my life or at least hundreds of hours playing each of these games. Um that like that I'm sure I could play them, but the joy that he is getting from them is effectively like this just unparalleled reward for getting to know every in and out of games of this scope. And then because you know everything, they can layer on this level of complexity or challenge that, you know, you would you would never start here for, you know, a video game if you were designing something. Well, I mean, you know, it does feel like a roguelike. So obviously there yeah. are, you know, Spelunky, for example, like you will fail as often in this as you will in like games of Spelunky. It's just weird to see it in a, 
effectively it's a triple A game. So they have like all of the presentation yeah. and like uh, detail. And also like these are three games worth of content. So it's just a shitload of stuff that you can play through, which is very, very cool. And I'm definitely a fan of it, but it's again, hard for me to imagine someone coming in and not getting a little scared off by the, um, just by like everything that's going on. In this. Yeah. But that being said, like I have played map, like I played this map. I don't know where it was set. It was somewhere in America. It was like an everyday America, like rural map. And, uh, I didn't, I'd never played it before. And I just stumbled my way into like an FBI hideout, which was regrettable because they instantly started shooting at me. But I slowly like was able to run away and like get my bearings and figure out where I should be going. And I was able to like do pretty well. Unfortunately, as you go on, uh, the maps get harder. And once you finish a series of missions, they throw you, uh, I, fr- I think it's like a syndicate leader mission this or showdown mission, whatever they call it in the game. And it's basically like a game of guess who, you know, that board game, Mm. guess who? Yeah. So they've got three targets, four targets, whatever it is on the map. And they'll tell you your target has a hat, glasses, a tattoo, and they love food. Mm. And so you basically have to tail people around and figure out which of these four targets are the target that you're trying to take out. But you also need to, you know, use disguises to not get spotted because, you know, if you're just using your, like, black suit with a red tie, <laughs> people are instantly going to spot you. Your on the back of your neck. Yeah, exactly. So it's there's a lot going on. And I want to watch people that are, like, pro-league uh, yeah. Hitman people because I think it'd be a great game to watch because you really do have to, like, pivot your strategy dramatically from mission to mission for me, having just played Hitman 3, and I played a lot of it, like a lot of it, it's it's pretty punishing. Like I spent like probably three hours kind of throwing myself at this, and it is pretty intense. Well, okay, so here's, here's why I thought maybe I could get into it. Okay. When I play Hitman, I try to play what I think Hitman is, which is like super sleuth, world's yeah. best Hitman player, right? And if I start to play in a way that I assume it allows me to play, which is like, okay, you could just shoot things. You know, you can just cause a mess. Sure. And you can still, like, pass. You know, you can get a passive yeah. grade. And I wonder if playing this version, if it would free me up kind of mentally to be like, whatever. My goal is just to get to the next stage. Um, it, yeah, it doesn't. And I'll tell you yeah. why. Because of the objectives that they're giving you, the, uh, mm. the objectives are optional. But you'll get an objective that's like kill the guy with a lethal syringe. Mm-hmm. And the reward for those objectives is money, like currency in the game. And you mm-hmm. use that money to buy items that you can then store to complete other objectives. So for example, yeah. you could buy, if if you get a mission where you need to use an explosive to kill a guy and you don't have an explosive, you could use the money that you've earned from previous missions to buy an explosive from a vendor that's like on the map. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I I know what you're saying, but really really all you could just do that in the main game and get that experience where you just like kind of run and gun your way through. I don't think it's a very fun game to just like shoot everyone. No, it's no, like no, boring. Of course not. That's not the uh, and not really designed that way, but you can do that. Yeah. I I think I think what's most amazing about this is just 
they're totally reevaluating how their content is presented. They spent all this time and money making 18 or so levels, however many levels it is, that are like enormous and detailed and tons of like stuff in there. And they had this whole campaign that was built around those missions. And they're like, you know what? We don't need to spend the money to totally redo all this stuff. We're just going to change the systems around them. And we're going to yeah. come up with a game that uses these tools that we've already built in a different way, in a, like a really interesting way that like totally reformulates what Hitman is. And I think that's what have that that's what has everyone excited. That's certainly what excites me about this is that it'll, it just kind of breathes new life into a game that was already good. And uh, now there's this free mode in it. It's like astounding how much content is here. There's a whole progression system. You're unlocking like a whole safe house that has like new enhancements and upgrades. So even if you do fully die and restart from scratch, there are still some upgrades that you're keeping. Like you can carry more gear into the mission now and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's astounding (laughs) how much is there. Part of me is like, oh, you know, this is a great model for AAA game development, right? Of you're gonna, you're doing the quote hard part. You're making all the animation, you're making all the models and the world and all this stuff. And it, obviously, game design tremendously difficult. But in theory, the, a lot of the like heavy lifting is done, and you know, you could you could repurpose all of those assets and all of that stuff. But I think that gets it also the challenge with a lot of you know, kind of the Ubisoft. EA era of AAA game design, which is by focusing on all of that stuff, by focusing on, you know, the towers that you climb in an open world game effectively or or the collectibles, it allows you to not have to worry about making game design. (laughs) Not not, like not making something this complicated. You don't have to be super thoughtful if it's just like tons of stuff. There's just stuff, right? And, And yeah, I think there's something admirable about this that is hey, we're actually, you know, stripping things away and creating something entirely new. I wonder if this is something that's only possible because they are, are they fully independent now? I believe they are. I, I think, think I think that IO is fully independent. Yeah. I don't think they, they're owned by a bigger publisher. I, I really do think, I mean, this feels like a mentality that was pulled from true tiny indie games, which did this only because they didn't have the resources to do anything else. Like they didn't have the option to make tons and tons of levels over and over again. All they could do was make a few, a handful of levels and they were very good levels and then make systems that make those levels constantly fresh and interesting. Hades is an example. Spelunky is an example. uh, Rogue Legacy. And so I think this is just like bringing that indie mentality to a much bigger project, which is really exciting. That sounds good. I I need to check. I, I think I need to watch it. Yeah, I think I think, I I think that is a good approach. Find a YouTuber, a Twitch streamer that you really like that's playing it and just watch them play. Um, I think that would be like a fun way to experience it because I think, for yeah, for a newcomer to Hitman, it'd be a lot to take in. Okay, I'm going to do it and I'm going to report back. And who knows, maybe next time you talk to me, I'm going to be, you know... No, there, there's no way. I'll, I'll never be good at these games. They're yeah, just, no, probably not. They require so much patience. They do. And I, it's just not me. You're not a patient boy. It will, and yet, we're going to take a break right now. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about a game that is going to completely contradict everything that we're oh, saying. Oh, boy. Here we go. We're going to talk about season right after this. 
Okay, we're back. I have a fantastic game to talk about. And I don't know if you... You should play it. I don't know if you'll like it. Okay. Okay? So, it's called Season, A Letter to the Future. And it is... It's a story game, for sure. Um, It's also kind of like a Pokemon Snap, you know, collect memories in a scrapbook video game. Like taking photos? Yeah. So... Here's here's like the top level premise. There is a person in the future, and this is the book ending of the story. There's a person in the future, and they are reading the travel diary of a young person. Okay. okay? And then pretty much right away, you zoom into the life of this young person. They um, live in a town uh, and on the top of a mountain. It's like surrounded by walls, kind of like a beautiful, I, I guess I'd say like maybe Swiss Alps or a, a Italian type like anyway you know European town very fancy very fancy um and they a prophecy <laughs> has come from um this person's friend that there is a change of season and the change of season in this world means like a pretty maybe not cataclysmic shift but a, a complete change in how the world works right and okay. you don't know what that means it could mean something like really serious like effectively the world's ending it could be um, there's actually a page in your in the diary at the very beginning that is a timeline of seasons. And one is like industrialization. Another is modernity. Another is war, like a season of war. So it's like decades of war, right? Just a big change. So um, they decide that they're going to go out and see the world before this has happened. They you know that they've been locked up in the city forever. Um, they're going to go out and see the world. And their mom like, sends them on the way and that game is you going around taking pictures of the world um drawing pictures of the world uh collecting stamps and little knickknacks that you can put in your scrapbook um recording audio of like various things like it could be the sound of like rain falling on like a bus stop uh it could be the sound of like a frog or whatever and then you deciding what goes into your scrapbook so each kind of stage you only have two pages for it so you can't fit everything in there um so you are you're both like documenting what's in the world and you're deciding basically like what gets preserved of the memory of this world that you sure. live in um how are you interact well, how is the interaction like so the 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 interaction is you you walk around in third person and Probably about an hour in, you get a bike. And that's when the game like really opens up. So the game does a really good job of very slowly revealing what it is. The The first maybe half hour is in your house. And it feels kind of like week gone home at first. Very, very much at first. Like you're in a room and there are objects to look at. And it's like, yeah. Okay. I've, you know, I've done this before. Um, and I'll spoil just the first 30 minutes. Um, you're, you know that you're going on this trip and your mother is like, okay, you've looked at a lot of the objects around the house. I'm going to make a pennant for you that is going to protect you while you're out there, you know, familiar trope. And she's like, but the only way to make it is we have to take, uh, an object that represents each of your senses. So something that has a smell that you like, something that, you know, has a look, a feel, and we're going to incinerate it. And when you incinerate it, I will lose that memory forever. What? So you're like looking at your mom as you like put in the only photograph in the house of her with her her late husband. 
and being like, okay, I you don't get to remember this now forever. And I'm going to carry seems this mean. with me. It's like really heavy. And it's quite beautiful because, you know, the thing that your mother tells you is, okay, you know, whatever you put in here, you're going to carry with you. So you want to make it important, but I will lose it, you know? And like, I'm very okay with that sacrifice. That sacrifice is actually quite important to me. Yeah. In, in the objects that are in the house, like there's like candy. You could pick something pretty inconsequential i would do like beetlejuice and then she could just watch beetlejuice for the first time again oh uh, well well she 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 can never see it again or else it like breaks it so like you really you can't even you can't even tell them what what they had forgotten oh i know i know but that's a great point when you say beetlejuice you mean the musical right of course yeah 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 it's, un- <laughs> it's unfortunate because it, it, it's closed but <laughs> otherwise we we could tell them a lot about it that's true um, which would be quite enjoyable actually um so yeah, so it starts very intimate like that. And then after that, you're walking around your village uh, in the town. And then, yeah, and, and then- and, and is it just like objects that are highlighted of like, I'm going to walk over here and like- No, oh about- yeah, so nothing is highlighted. It's just yeah. the world. And then you kind of decide what is important. And the game, obviously, it, it, it's thought of ahead on all of this. Almost everything that I think is like neat- the game has something kind of like pre-recorded to, to, to talk about that. Sure. So I'll be like, oh, you know, like this little string on a tree and I'll take it and I'll like give like a whole thing about the history of why people hung these little banners from the tree. Hmm. Or I'll be like, oh, this poster, like this seems like it's probably just background art. And I'll take a picture of it and I'll talk about like why the kids hung these posters. So you're basically unlocking the story of your environment whenever you take a picture or record audio of it. Yeah, I'm, um, that sounds very cool. It reminds me of Alba. Did you play that game, Alba? Yeah, it, it, it's similar to that. Yeah. Um, and it, it, man, it it walks a tightrope <laughs> uh, because again, it's a slow game. It is there. There are some goals. Like, there's a page I've seen a page where it encourages you to take photos of certain things, but for the most part, it truly is just like walk around collect stuff for your scrapbook, decorate the scrapbook as you like, you know, and then move on to the next place. Is it like an open world or are, you, are there levels? Yeah, so that's when it opens up. So again, first first level, you're in a house. Second right. level, you're in your like town. The third level, you finally get this bike and you are like zipping down the mountain. So the world's flying past you and it's this very disorienting effect where previously you're taking a photo of like every little object and now like entire vistas are like passing by. And the instinct is to stop and like take photos. Yeah. But also it's really fun to ride down a big hill on a bike. <laughs> but can, but and, can you stop? Like, yeah, or... you can stop at any time. Yeah. But like that's okay. So all, all the mechanical stuff is like neat. But what I've, like, loved about the game is how it just makes me think about how it's applicable in the real world, right? Because, I mean, how, like, that is such the perfect metaphor of just any time you are trying to retain a memory or take a photo, anytime you pull out your phone to take a photo, right? And it's this dichotomy of, like, okay, the second I do that, I am now distancing myself from the moment I'm actually in. Sure. And... I have not really had that many times in a video game where I, I, I am purposely going against what the game wants me to do, which is, you know, take photos and, and 
document these memories, knowing like effectively, okay, everything I'm zipping past is not saved for the future world. It's gone. Like it is, it, it is for me and me alone. And now it's gone from history. Um, and at the same time, wow, it's just really fun zipping past in a bike. And that's cool as hell. It seems pretty ambitious for, do you, do you know how big this team was? I don't know. It, so I think it was partly funded by the Canadian government. Which is Classic another thing Canada. of like, it must be so nice having a Canadian, the Canadian, <laughs> Canadian. Oh my God. The, the, the Canada Media Fund is, yeah. I think, one of the funders of it. So it must have like some team, but it also does that thing of just making really smart choices of um, development prioritization. So the character models are beautiful. It's kind of like a cell shaded look, but they don't, um, their mouths don't move. Right. And they're like, their animations are very simple, almost like dolls, mm-hmm. kind of, or figurines. Yeah. But then the flip side is the world is stunning, right? Like, and very detailed. And the the voice acting is fantastic. It is so um, understated. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I mean, it's really, really next level stuff. And yeah. thank goodness, because there's kind of a poetry to the language here that who i mean high risk high reward you know most of the time when people start sounding like they're in um the tree of life or you know any other terrence malick movie sure that's that's gonna be a big no for me uh in most video games and here it, it really strikes the balance of um kind of like poking at some big ideas but not falling on either side of the okay this is like unbearably pretentious or, okay, this sounds like a poster I would, like, see at my third grade teacher's wall. Mm. Um, it just is, like, right right down the center. It's in that sweet zone of, oh, that, again, like, that, it, it, it's meditative. That, like, is helping me process some thoughts that I think I would have not, you know, prioritized uh, were I playing Dead Space. Yeah. Not that there's any problem with Dead Space. Love that game, too. But it's cool to play something that gets me thinking in a different way. Yeah, it's interesting. It's hard. It, it, in describing it, you're right. I, I I'm not entirely sure if this is a game I would like, because I wonder whether I would need more of a like objective than just absorbing the world. Like I remember when I was playing Alba, which is a story. It's a game where you're like a little girl on an island taking photos of birds and various other like creatures on the island, and then you mm. fill up like a stamp book of these photos. Um, and there was like a lot of narrative stuff that came out of that, but you also like felt this like goal that was kind of hovering in the background that kind of propelled you through it. And I wonder without that, whether I would be engaged with it, but it has certainly piqued my interest. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the, the weirdly, the framework of the game of, mm. you know, you knowing, <laughs> I mean, it's quite dark everything that you see and that you are playing this game is dead already. Yeah. Right. right. Like, it's like the, from the future. Yeah. Because yeah. it's from the future. Well, maybe for, the season is good. Maybe it's like pizza falls from the sky. That, that's true. Good season could be coming. You don't know. Yeah. But, but either way, this season is gone. Like right. all of this is gone now. All the problems, yeah. all the good things, everything's gone. And, and the idea of, you know, you making this scrapbook, it's kind of, awesome in that 
what you're doing aligns so well with what the character is doing and that it's an act of faith for both of you, right? Like what this character is making a scrapbook under the act of faith that somebody eventually will see it and it will be important and meaningful to them in some way, right? And have no way to know for sure of any of that. And you are making it and one, it's a, like, you know, it's a video game. Like it's not like the scrapbook is real. So there's that. But two, you also don't know, like, on a kind of EA Bioware level, is any of this going to mean anything to a story in the end? Right. You know, like, I, I think that there is a version of this game that is the Peter Molyneux version, the director of Fable, where it'd be like, oh, every choice you make, you know, has an impact on the end. And right, it does. I think the only answer here is it shouldn't have any impact. Right. Because the whole point. Moot. Is yeah, is that it's smooth? Is that it's going to be put in a chamber and locked away for centuries? Yeah, the important thing is the experience of doing it. Yeah, not... bearing witness. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's and I, I think why I think the reason that you might like it is the the actual doing of the things just feels good. That is important. So the like using the camera feels yeah. good, and there's so. I mean, this game is so staged beautifully that you kind of aim the camera anywhere and right away you're like, damn, I'm really good at photography. Yeah. Like they just perfectly lined up everything so you constantly feel like you're getting the best shot. Um, you actually really stop and savor every bit because when you know, oh, I need to really listen for new sounds because I want to I document them. Suddenly you're paying so close attention to the sound design of the game. And... And you you enjoy it more because you're like really, really listening to it and paying attention yeah. to it. And the bike is just good. Riding a bike in a beautiful world, why every game doesn't just have a bike in it where you can just roll around on a bike in a beautiful world, that is beyond me because holy moly, does it feel great. And every time I play a game with a bike in it, like Lonely Downhill Racing or whatever it's called, yeah. um, yeah, it just reminds me how much I love th- this vibe of just being chill out in nature on a bike in a video game. Yeah, there um, aren't many bicycle games. No. There's like a lot of motorcycle games, but bicycles are pretty rare. You don't see that a lot. You played Lonely Mountains Downhill, right? Yeah, it was an amazing game. Yeah, I loved it's it. great. Yeah, yeah. It, there's like, it, it's very weird because it feels I mean, so Pokemon good. has a bicycle, but it never felt good it didn't yeah, it feel, like, feel a like a bike yeah. yeah um so yeah i mean that that's it there's there's not a lot more to talk about with it without like kind of getting into the spoilers of it and the yeah no I, I think that was a good summary yeah, which, um, yeah. My, again my interest is peaked what what platform did you play it on um so i played it on steam and i played it on both um a tv and steam deck mm-hmm. you would think that this would be like very good for a steam deck maybe but I I don't recommend it. I actually recommend doing it on on a on a large TV yeah. because the photography is so much about like the beauty of the world. Yeah, and having a really large that screen actually it actually helped a lot. Yeah, um, yeah. Similar to uh, I was able to play Hitman on um, Steam Deck. It's better on a bigger screen, not because you're taking a lot of photos as much as it is like just yeah. Again, detail is extremely important in that game as well. And it's very hard on a, you know, 700p screen. Uh, should we talk about our our other stuff for the week? I think we should. So, recommendations for the week. I have a game called Nuclear Blaze. Uh, it's on Steam. It came out in 2021. Totally missed it. Um, 
It's by Deep Night Games, which includes, I guess, according to the description, one of the creators of Dead Cells uh, made this game. Dead Cells, the the uh, Metroidvania roguelike. Um, but this game is very different from that. You are a firefighter. It's a 2D platforming game with like pixel graphics. And it's kind of, it's like um, a puzzle platformer where you're basically trying to explore these environments that are totally filled with flames. Like uh, the ceiling, the floor everywhere, there's fire spreading everywhere. And you're trying to progress through. And to do that, you basically got, you know, you can fire your hose straight ahead. You can fire it up. You've got like a dodge. You'll get other abilities as you go on. And you've got a limited amount of water. So you're using these tools to basically clear these areas of fire and progress deeper and deeper into the world. It doesn't... It's not like uh, what you would think of a firefighting game where it's like, oh, here's a level where I have to like save this house or I have to save this bank or whatever it is. It's like almost feels like a Metroidvania, even though I don't think there's a ton of backtracking. Um, But it's very interesting because like it's just like this constantly evolving world that's totally tied in with itself. So you start just like on the street with a bunch of other firefighters. And you slowly go into this, like, looks like a military base that's on fire. And you're clearing the fire out. And you keep moving down deeper and deeper. And suddenly you're, like, seeing these, like, nuclear tanks. And you're finding all sorts of, like, weird, you know, mysterious things down there. And there's also cats that you can save because it's a firefighting game. Um, It's very interesting. I don't know. I I really can't think of a similar game to it. It kind of feels a little bit like a Lek head and other uh, puzzle platformers, but because it has the firefighting aspect, it feels a little more narrative than that because you are getting like radio calls and, and stuff like that. And I just like the pixel graphics. They're like simple, but very clean. They kind of remind me of um, Celeste, uh, maybe a little more demaked than Celeste, maybe like an NES or a SNES Celeste. And uh, yeah, it's just very interesting. Uh, you know, I don't think it's going to keep you super busy, but, uh, you know, it's a small 10 buck game on Steam. And if you're looking for like an interesting puzzle platformer, I really dug it. This is so interesting because I couldn't figure out why, why had I not heard of this if it was the Dead Cells um, person? So it's not the same studio that made Dead Cells. Correct. It's a one person design studio now. Who is Sebastian Bernard, who was the lead designer on Dead Cells, and then yeah, I guess that's... left to to make their own studio. Yeah, I guess so. That's uh, cool. that makes sense actually. Huh. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting game. Uh, I found it. Uh, you know, we mentioned Derek Yu, the d- developer of Spelunky, uh, earlier in the episode. He has a Steam list. I believe the Steam list is called Derek Likes It, and it's just like a bunch of games that he's played and enjoyed. Uh, it's not the first time I've pulled a game from this. He also recommended uh, Trez, uh, what was it, Trez Bashers? Remember that game? Oh, yeah, or, yeah. That was also on the Derek Likes It list. So if you're looking for games that are kind of like Spelunky or you know, it's mostly 2D games on that list, um, that's a very good Steam list to Google, uh, Derek Likes It. 
Yeah, this looks cool. Uh, there's a gif of like um a backdraft when you yeah. like, chop open a door and just looks awesome. Yeah, there's a kind of a slowdown thing where if you open a door and there's like a big fire in there, the fire will like shoot out towards you like a backdraft. But you can f- spray your water up in the air to like act as a shield when that happens. Is a backdraft a known thing beyond the movie? As a son of a firefighter, I I don't know if like that's like a oh everybody knows what a backdraft. Is. I mean, my understanding was. The movie just popularized the idea beyond firefighters, but it existed certainly before the movie came out. Oh, well, sure, sure. The movie didn't invent <laughs> the backdrafts. Or the term uh, for backdraft, yeah. yeah but that's yeah, the I, only reason I know about it. Is okay, okay. I, I, I mean, there should be a new movie to like bring awareness of this problem, you know? That's Who true. Knows? You might open a door and allow too much oxygen to that fire and boom. Well, I think that's um, why you check the handle, right? That is. That's true. That's what happened when the car crashed into my house. Did we ever talk about it on the show? That the car uh, crashed maybe into- briefly. That car <laughs> crashed into your house. I can't remember. It's, it's um, an old house. So you're it's fine old, it, yeah, I won't live there anymore. This is awesome. I'm definitely going to check this out. My, my thing, I wanted to talk about Busu, which I think is how it's pronounced. Um, this is an app that I have become just completely obsessed with, and I use it for um, language learning. And uh, I've tried lots of other ones like Duolingo, but this is like, this is kind of like the all-in-one answer that I am in love with. I sound like I'm doing an ad. Right now, I kind of am doing a free ad. But I want more people to check it out because it, it seems so strange to me that it feels so useful and so much better than so many of its peers. And yet I never hear people talking about it. So if you, it's the new year, if you've been thinking about like trying a new language, I use it for Japanese. I'm sure it works just as well for lots of other things. Um, I would check it out because it does, it does vocabulary and grammar and, um, oh, I guess the coolest feature, you um, either write or say things into the app. And then it pairs it with people who are learning, say like your language, but already know the language that you're learning. That makes oh. sense. So yeah, like, sure. Like it pairs me with, with like random Japanese native speakers and is like, hey, is this good? And they'll like give me notes. And likewise, I'll give English notes. And now that everybody knows how to use Google Translate, the great thing is you can give like pretty thorough notes knowing, oh, that person is just going to copy paste this into a Google Translate. Right. And th- th- they'll actually get some pretty decent help. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it, it's it's super cool. Um, I like feel like a very close bond with a few people who I feel like I'm always helping or they're helping me. I've like, never met these people. Did you um, talk about your 13 Sentinel statue with them? I, I have talked about 13 <laughs> Sentinels, but not the statue. That's too <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> I, I, I do actually have a, cr- a threshold of cringe, and, <laughs> and we've really found it. Um, uh, I think that's it. That's cool. What are we going to talk about next time? Well, I know that you wanted to talk about this game called Wanted Dead, which is like a very outlandish throwback game. Yes. It's in two weeks, so it'll be a while before yes, we Yes, it's embargoed, so we can't say anything about it right now, but I, I definitely want to talk about it yeah. the moment I can. Um, and are we going to talk about, are we going to have a conversation about the... Uh... I think we will have a conversation about the wizard game that is coming up the extent to which I don't really know because obviously like there's all sorts of baggage associated with said wizard game, which is rightful baggage. Like there's a very shitty person at the head of, you know, this franchise. So I'm like, but I also feel like, I don't know. I need to, we need to at least acknowledge 
the scenario going in which this wizard game is coming out. So uh, we'll probably bring it up in the next Rusties, and and hopefully we treat it with the uh, respect that a wizard game deserves. Yep. Um, <laughs> I think that's it. Do we do cool. it again? Oh, uh, here's what we talked about. Oh, yes. We talked about Hitman's Freelancer DLC, Season, A Letter to the Future, Nuclear Blaze, and Busu, an app that's spelled B-U-S-U-U. That, but boost. That, that I, I, I think that's Boosu. how it's pronounced. It's weird that I don't know how to pronounce it. That is. Um, uh, and otherwise, that's it. Uh, do you want to do the ending in Japanese? I n- no, because even though I know how to say it, I know it will be deeply embarrassing, and oh, I don't come want to record it. No, just, just try I, a little. The bit. The only time I am going to speak in Japanese is like five years from now when I have a, a confidence. But people but, don't. People want to see the progression. <laughs> they really don't. <laughs> in fact, I can assure you, they don't. <laughs> you can't give us a word. Uh, no, I'm not. Okay, I'm. I'm fine. not. I, I'm not. I think I, you're faking it. I think you're just going. Doing fantasy football on your phone when you pretend <laughs> to be learning uh, Japanese. That's the goal. I want people to think that it's a BS. That way, when I when I when at a certain point, I will I will come back and and sound. Well, I'll never be fluent, but I'll at least sound confident. I want to at least the next sound season. That the next season of my life. No, the next season, the next capital S season, is a plant being Japanese. Uh, are you talking about in the show, in the best you show, or the game? This the show. Both. There's too much going on here. <laughs> we should wrap it up. His name is Russ Rushdick. My name is Christopher Thomas Plant. We are the Resties. We're the rest of the best. Discuss the best of the rest. Resties. <laughs> How's that? It's Arigato Gozaimasu. Mashita would be like past tense, but sure. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>